Last week, last week I returned from vacation. It was great. I love vacation. Now, don't get me wrong. I love being here, too. I love working at the church. Considering you pay my salary, I need to say that. <laughs> I, but I love vacation. There are so many benefits to vacationing. Rest, time to do what you want to do, well, at least some time to do what you want to do, time to spend with family and friends. There's a lot of benefits to vacationing. There's also this past vacation, I had time to look at what's going on in the world. Now, I'm sure that every one of us would consider that a benefit, but I had an opportunity to watch some TV, to read kind of more of the news than I usually read, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot that's happening in our world. There's tensions with North Korea, a seemingly crazy leader who is, who is causing problems with the balance of stability in Asia. In Virginia, marches, marches where people are shouting racist, terrible things. In Spain, there was, a, there was a man who intentionally drove his car into a crowd of people. There's a lot going on in our world, and there's much, there's many more things than I just mentioned. And in each of these cases, in each of these examples that I just gave to you, and in many others, there's clearly, there's clearly a battle that is happening. There is clearly a battle between right and between wrong. In that battle between right and wrong, in tensions in North Korea, in, in racists marching in Virginia, in terrorists in Spain, that's, those are examples of the battle. But the battle is not only external, is it? The battle is internal as well. There's a battle in you and in me, there's a battle going on between, between right and wrong. It's kind of like those old cartoons that had the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other kind of whispering in your ear, encouraging you to do something right or encouraging you to do something wrong. You know that it's important to get worthwhile, to get good grades, to get into a worthwhile college. So you have a test coming up, or maybe there's some homework, and you think to yourself, man, if I, maybe, maybe, just, maybe just cheat a little bit. Is that really so bad? Or maybe you're with someone you shouldn't be with in a place that you should not be, and later someone asks you, who are you with and where were you? Man, it's just a little lie. You, you really, really love your girlfriend. So is it, such, is it really such a big deal if you sleep together? Maybe your husband doesn't pay much attention to you. Maybe he's cold and even distant. And when you go to the gym, there's a guy there he pays attention to you. And he asked you to come back to his place. We all deal 
with internal struggles of right and wrong. All of us, each one of us here this morning, the battle between right and wrong is raging in our hearts. As we continue to study the book of Esther, we're going to see that just as it is today, it was then. The battle between right and wrong. So take your Bible and open up to Esther chapter 3. Esther chapter 3, and I'd encourage you to follow along with me this morning. If you want to grab a Bible from the pew, from the seat rack in front of you, turn to page 397. Page 397 in the book of Esther. It's Esther chapter 3. As you're turning, let me review for you the story of Esther. Remember, the people of Israel are in exile in Persia. And there is a king of Persia. His name is Xerxes. And Xerxes one night is going to throw a great, huge party. And Xerxes wants to show off his wife Vashti. But Vashti decides that she doesn't want to go to the banquet. So she stays home. As a result, King Xerxes is very upset. So he deposes Vashti. And now Xerxes doesn't have a queen. So he conducts a nationwide, an empire-wide beauty contest to find his new queen. And Esther wins the beauty contest. Now, Esther is Jewish. And Esther has a cousin named Mordecai. And Mordecai has adopted Esther into her family. And now Esther is the queen of Persia. And because Esther's queen, Mordecai gets to spend more time in the palace. And one day when Mordecai's in the palace, he overhears a plot to kill King Xerxes. So Mordecai does the right thing and he reports the plot. And Xerxes' life is saved. Everything in the first two chapters of the book of Esther is going seemingly well for almost everyone. King Xerxes, he's the king of Persia and he now has a beautiful wife. I said almost everybody because it's not going so well for Vashti. Vashti's no longer queen, and she is now out of the picture. But Mordecai, Mordecai does the right thing, and he reports this plot, this assassination attempt against the king of Persia. And the king's life is saved, and Mordecai is praised. And Esther, this simple Jewish girl, is now the queen of all of Persia. Everything in the first two chapters of the book of Esther seems to be going relatively well for everyone and primarily Esther and Mordecai. But then we come to chapter 3, and the battle between right and wrong begins, and it is very real. Chapter 3, verse 1. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamathida, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. What? What just happened here at the beginning of chapter 3? Look at those first three words. After these events. After what events? After Esther had been made queen of Persia, and after Mordecai saved the king by disclosing the assassination plot, after everything was going relatively well for Esther and Mordecai, Haman, Haman is honored. He's given the position higher than anybody else in the kingdom except the king. 
Haman, every other royal official, has to bow down before Haman. To me, this seems like a very big detour in the story. Shouldn't Mordecai have been the one here that should have been honored? Mordecai is the one who saved the king. Mordecai is the one who is trustworthy, loyal, and faithful. Mordecai is good. But Mordecai is not honored. And Haman is honored. And this is how the battle between right and wrong is introduced. Then look at verse 2. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to reply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated. For he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Are you serious here? Haman is clearly a sharp contrast to Mordecai. Haman is so unworthy. This is the type of person who climbs and claws his way to the top, vindictive, arrogant, cunning, ferociously cruel. Now, not only, think about this, not only is he enraged with Mordecai, not only does he expand that rage to the Jewish people, not only does he think about a plot to exterminate Mordecai and all of the Jewish people, Haman actually implements a plot to kill every last Jew in the empire of Persia. Think about this. Mordecai doesn't bow down to Haman, so Haman wants to kill Mordecai and all the Jewish people. He then goes to King Xerxes. He deceives King Xerxes into signing an irrevocable law that will kill all of the Jews within a year's time. This law, this plan that is now law, irrevocable law that Haman has set into place is a demonstration of his rage against Mordecai and his rage against all of the Jews. So he wants to kill Mordecai and kill every Jew in all of Persia. What do we call that? What do you call a plan like that? What do you call a person like Haman? What? Evil. Yes, Haman is evil. The battle is on. The battle is between Haman and Mordecai. The battle is between Haman and the Jewish people. This is a battle between right and wrong. It's actually, in reality, a battle between good and evil. 
So let's take some time and look at the battle that is raging, that is going on, this battle between good and evil. It is helpful if we understand this battle. So I have three things, three things that I'd like to show you about the nature of the battle. Three things about the nature of the battle. First, this battle is the main battle in all of history. The main battle in all of history. Did you notice that Haman is also almost never referred to simply as Haman? He is referred to as Haman the Agagite. He's first introduced in chapter 3, verse 1. Look at how he's identified there. Haman, son of Hamathida, the Agagite. And then look down at verse 10 of chapter 3. He's identified in the same way. Haman, son of Hamathida, the Agagite. But look at how else he's identified in verse 10. He's identified also as the enemy of the Jews. Now we're being tipped off here. Remember two weeks ago, Jim mentioned this? Do you remember what is really going on between Haman and Mordecai? Here's why Haman will not bow down, excuse me, Mordecai will not bow down to Haman. It's not because Mordecai is jealous of Haman's position. It's not even the fact that they're kind of warring ethnic communities. Something else is going on here. Mordecai will not bow down to Haman because Haman is of the descent of Agag. Remember what Jim mentioned. It takes us back a few hundred years to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And it's there in 1 Samuel chapter 15 where God instructs King Saul to kill all the Amalekites. Now you may think that sounds harsh. You may think that, why would God do that? God does it because the Amalekites are wicked, evil people. I mean really wicked and really evil people. So God tells King Saul, you go and you kill all the Amalekites. Well, the king of the Amalekites is a man by the name of Agag, and God says, you kill Agag too. But Saul doesn't follow God's instructions completely, and he leaves Agag alive. Samuel eventually ends up killing King Agag. But look what's happening here. Haman is identified as of the tribe of Agag. He's an Agagite. What is happening here? Think about the continuation the Amalekites are wicked, evil people. Agag is a wicked, evil king. And now, hundreds of years later, Haman has come on the scene, and he is a wicked, evil man. On one side of the battle is Haman, and on the other side of the battle is Esther and Mordecai. Jews of the tribe of Benjamin, which is the same tribe that King Saul was a part of. You see, this is not just, this book of Esther is not just a good story. It's meant to remind us, it's meant to show us that there is a battle going on, a battle that is raging between good and evil. And the battle is ultimately spiritual and has been going on since Adam and Eve were first tempted in the garden. This is the main battle of all of history. Second, it's a battle, listen to this, 
closely, please. It is a battle between good versus evil, not good versus crazy. It is a battle of good versus evil, not good versus crazy. Write down in your notes, evil exists. Evil exists. Today, there is a tendency in our society, particularly among mental health experts and political pundits, to medicalize bad behavior and refer to people as sick. The tendency is to view moral lapses as some type of psychological disorder when they are actually moral lapses. Now please, don't hear me wrong. There are psychological disorders and mental illness does exist, but not to the exclusion of evil. Evil exists. And I'd like to share with you two types of evil. First, there's moral evil. Moral evil exists. It is personal, internal, spiritual evil that exists. It can also be referred to as iniquity, transgressions, wickedness, sin. Moral evil that exists. It's a bent. It's a disposition that we have in our thoughts and in our conduct. And it is prevalent in all of human society. Each one of us have a disposition and a bent towards evil. It's why Paul says in Romans 3 that no one has done good, not even one. There is moral evil in the world. Second, there's also supernatural evil. Supernatural evil. This is the evil of the devil and his demons. The devil is real and his demons are real and they are in the fight and in the fight they are seeking to influence you and influence me to more and more choices of evil, to more and more sin. The battle is raging. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour there is a supernatural evil and the devil is bringing this evil to you to influence your moral decisions to make you make morally evil choices. Look at also from Ephesians chapter 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. There is supernatural evil. There is a moral evil that is intimate, personal, and spiritual, and there is a supernatural evil in which the devil and his demons are influencing you and influencing me to make evil, bad decisions. Look at this quote from Paul Minot. It speaks to our society's view of evil and how we are part of it. Look at this quote. As a society, we have lost sight of evil having mostly relegated the term to define Adolf Hitler types and fantasy villains. In its original incarnation, evil did not allude to this Boschnian stereotype, but to a malevolent drive that was ubiquitous, mundane, and even banal. I typically use those words on a daily basis. <laughs> I had to look up Boschnian because I had absolutely no idea what that meant. Bosch is, a, for your information, uh, from my deep wealth of knowledge. Bosch is a medieval painter who painted op, op, uh, 
crazy, what's the end times word I'm looking for? Apocalyptic. You guys know Bosch, good stuff. <laughs> Apocalyptic paintings. Using this broader definition, we can see it as a continuum of behavior that includes all manner of petty crimes and self-serving manipulations, a force that each of us struggles with from day to day. Each time we know we're supposed to do the right thing, but want to do something else instead. As I see it, this sort of evil never went away, but rather has been subsumed by a misguided social consensus to regard all misbehavior as a psychological disorder of some sort. The battle is between good and evil, not good and crazy. Evil exists. The third aspect of the nature of the battle, the third aspect is that we are all in the battle. We are all in the battle. It is not just genocidal dictators and terrorists. We are all in the battle between good and evil. We are faced in our lives, we are faced with battles like tensions in North Korea. We are faced with the external struggle of racist philosophies, of terrorist actions. We are part of this battle. And you and I, we have to discern between good and evil, and we have to make our decisions accordingly. But the battle is not only external. It is internal. And the battle rages in you, and the battle rages in me. Look at this quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn is a 20th century historian, author, philosopher, and Soviet dissident. Look what Solzhenitsyn writes about how evil affects each one of us. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? We all know. We all know the battle is in us. Somewhere there's a desire in each one of us to to cheat on that homework assignment or on that test or maybe lie about the simplest of things, or sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or leave your husband for someone who seemingly pays more attention to you. The battle is within each of us. Now, some of you may have noticed how I started the sermon. I said that the battle was between right and wrong. And you know why I did that? I did that because it is easy for us to accept that language than it is for us to accept that the battle is between good and evil. Good and evil, that battle seems harsh. Right and wrong, I can deal with right and wrong. But good and evil seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? It's a little, Tom, it's just a bit too much. And I know what I'm going to say next may come off as harsh to some of you. But I hope you know my heart. 
when you cheat on a test, it is not just wrong. It is evil. When you lie, no matter how small the lie, it is not just wrong. It is evil. When you sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage, it's evil. And when you go out on your husband to a guy that pays more attention to you, it is evil. Each one of us are in a battle between good and evil. And what I want you to know this morning is this battle between good and evil is a battle between life and death. Because if you choose good, you choose life. And if you choose evil, you choose death. And this battle is so very real. And you know it. You know it. You know when you, every single day of our lives, in some way we are in this battle and we feel it. In the depths of our soul, in the depths of our being, we feel this battle between right and wrong. We see it externally and we know it inside in the decisions that we make on a daily basis. So what do we do? How do we survive? Well, I have five survival principles. And I'm going to say this. They are more than survival principles. These are principles that will help you thrive in the battle. They will help you thrive in the battle. The first principle, and this principle is an absolute. This is the first principle. God is sovereign. Yes, evil exists, but God exists, and God is God, and he is sovereign, and he is in control. He has a perfect plan that he is executing with perfection. God is sovereign, and not only is he sovereign, he's good. He is not just doing good things, he is good. God is sovereign and he is good. Look at these verses. Look at these verses from 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11 and 12. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Look at this next verse from Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. God is God. And look at this next verse. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is sovereign, he is in control, and he has a plan. We have seen this in the book of Esther. I've written down some of these things. Scripture affirms God's sovereignty, and it is played out in the book of Esther. He is sovereign and has a plan. Think about this. Esther does not initially tell the king that she is a Jew. She tells him just before Haman is identified as the villain. Look about Mordecai. Mordecai should have been rewarded right when he reported the assassination plot and saved the king. But all he gets is a little scribble in the chronicles. But then, he, then 
Xerxes can't sleep one night. He has insomnia. So he, what does he do? He goes to read the Chronicles, and he just happens to read the Chronicle that speaks of Mordecai's revelation of the plot. And it goes on. Queen Esther reveals to Xerxes the plot that the villain is Haman. Xerxes leaves the room. When Xerxes leaves the room, he comes back and he sees Haman all over the queen. And he gets more and more upset. God is sovereign and he has a plan and he is consistently and effectively using that plan and he uses Haman's and he uses Xerxes. He even uses sin. He even uses our missteps to work its way into, our, into his plan because he is sovereign and he is in control. Know in your head and in your heart that God is sovereign and he is good and he has a plan. Second, if God is sovereign, if God is good, that means that you and I, we must imitate Esther and Mordecai. We must imitate Esther and Mordecai. Look at the last couple of weeks, we've been studying Esther and Mordecai, and what did we learn about Esther? Esther is this woman who becomes the queen of Persia, and she ends up submitting to the will of God. She comes, she, at the risk of her life, goes before the king, and before she goes before the king, she says, if I perish, I perish. She submits to the will of God. And Mordecai, Mordecai is this person who obeys God. He doesn't bow down before Haman because Haman is the representation of all evil of the Amalekite people. So Mordecai doesn't bow down. I have a question for you. Do you think it was easy for Esther to submit to the will of God? And do you think it was easy for Mordecai to obey? I don't think so. I don't think it was easy at all. Because I think within the heart of Esther and within the heart of Mordecai, there was a battle raging between good and evil. And it would have been a lot easier for Esther to say absolutely nothing. She is the queen of Persia, and she is putting a whole lot at risk. And Mordecai, why doesn't Mordecai, shoot, just bow down, who cares? Certainly a lot easier than causing all this mess. But Esther and Mordecai choose to do the right thing. Mordecai and Esther choose good. And for you and me today, in these battles between good and evil, we are to choose good. And how do you do that? You imitate Esther and Mordecai. And for us today, it means you submit to Jesus Christ and you give your life to him. And then you obey everything that he says to do. Submit to Jesus Christ and obey everything he says to do, and you will thrive in the battle. Now, here's the deal. This brings us to number three. Even if you submit to Jesus Christ, and even if you obey everything he says, that does not mean it is going to be easy. Because it's still a battle, and battles are battles, and battles are difficult. So even if you submit, and even if you obey, the battle is going to be difficult. So number three, you need to be able to recognize the end from the beginning. You need to be able to recognize the end from the beginning. Esther and Mordecai faced an incredible trial. You think about this. Esther and Mordecai were sentenced to death. Do you hear what I said? Esther and Mordecai are sentenced to death. Within one year's time, they are going to be impaled. This is not an easy situation for 
Esther or Mordecai, they are sentenced to death, but death is not their destiny. Life is their destiny. And what caused, how did they get through it? They did not focus on the now. They looked and focused on the then. You see, for each one of us, it gets difficult. It gets hard. The encouragement is don't focus on the now. Focus on the then. Your destiny is not death. Your destiny is life. Jesus recognized this. What did the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus recognized that the future, the, the immediate, the now was going to be difficult, but he focused upon the future and the blessing to come. Paul says something very similar to you and to me in Romans chapter 8 when he writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us recognize that the end is much different than the beginning and place your focus on the end, recognizing that our present sufferings do not compare to the future glory that's to come. And then fourth, fourth, take your Bibles and turn to Esther chapter 7. Esther chapter 7. This is the fourth aspect of the nature of the battle. In this battle between good and evil, the fourth thing I want you to write down or remember is God wins. God wins. What happens to Haman? Well, after the king signs his genocidal law, he begins to implement his plan. Mordecai ends up convincing Esther to go before King Xerxes. A series of events unfold. Look at chapter 7, verse 2. Queen Esther, this is Xerxes speaking to Esther. Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I had found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people, this is my request, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, the vile Haman. How would you like to be in Haman's shoes at this point? <laughs> the king at this point is pretty upset. So the king leaves the room, and when the king leaves the room, Haman sees an opportunity, and so he grovels at the feet of Esther. He actually gets up on the couch with her. Just then the king walks back in. He sees Haman on the couch with Esther. He thinks that Haman is assaulting Esther. Then look at verse 9. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, a pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits, that is about 75 feet, a pole reaching to the height of 75 feet stands by Haman's house. 
He had set it up for Mordecai who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Haman is evil. And Haman is evil in all of its representations. He represents all of evil. And guess what happens to Haman? He dies. He's impaled on a 75-foot pole. God wins. In the end, God wins. And in the meantime, he is working a plan that is sovereign. He is in control. And you and I have the opportunity and the responsibility to imitate Esther and Mordecai and realize that our end is not the same as our now because God wins. There's a fifth principle of survival. There's a fifth principle of survival. And it's both a warning and an encouragement. What a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. First, the warning. This is a big crowd. And I know many of you are struggling with evil. You're struggling in the battle between good and evil. And I said, we're all struggling in the battle between good and evil. But because this is such a big crowd, that means that there's likely someone here who is perpetrating evil. There's likely someone in this crowd this morning that is an evil actor. So the warning is this, because what a difference a day makes. One day, Haman was one of the richest and most powerful men in the Persian Empire. He's number two behind King Xerxes, and at this time, this is the largest empire on the globe. He is one of the richest and most powerful men. He has special palaces. He has special servants. He has special horses. He has special clothes. One day, Haman seemingly has everything. But the very next day, Haman is dragged out of the palace in disgrace with a covering over his head to be impaled on a 75-foot pole for everyone to see. If you are here this morning and you are perpetrating evil, fall on your knees and confess your sin before God through Jesus Christ. Because tomorrow is another day. And now the encouragement. I know there are some of you here this morning where life seems really dark. And you know very well the battle between good and evil. And it's not that you're perpetrating it. You, you may be the victim of evil. 
It may feel like your world is crashing down around you because of some evil that is being perpetrated against you. What a difference a day makes. Mordecai, when he learned of his death sentence, was crying and weeping in sackcloth and ashes. But the very next day, he was promoted to the second in all of the land of Persia. What a difference a day makes. Look forward to tomorrow. Because God is sovereign and he is in control. We are to imitate Esther and Mordecai. We are to recognize that the now is not the end. That there is a glorious future coming. And to know in our heads and in our hearts that God wins. And tomorrow is always a new day.